and welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you to live your life well. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can jump on our website at differentlight.com.au and click the connect button. Or could we encourage you to also support our work by clicking on the giving button. Thanks so much for listening. Let me give you a quick recap uh, on Real People, uh, the series. And I want to start by asking a question we can so often say to ourselves, don't we? Or even at the beginning of the year, or maybe you say it to someone in your connect group or you just think it. You just say, I just want to be used by God. I just want my life to matter. I want what I do in life to, for God to use that in a very big and powerful way. And I want to remind us right from the outset, as this whole series has been about, that being used by God is not a qualification to have. It's a mindset to grab hold of. You know, when I was 16, I went for my L's test. I think I went on like the day after my birthday. Who remembers going for their L's test? And uh, back then, you just had to like flip through a book and then you had to sit in front of a computer and then you had to take a test and you could not get any question wrong. Like you had to get 100%. And I was just so excited to like get out of there and to get the little license and drive off with dad and look at me, I'm 16, what freedom. And I got one question wrong. And uh, you still remember the question you got wrong. Uh, yeah, I still remember the question you got wrong. It, it, was, uh, it was like you're driving at 90 k's an hour and it's raining and there's a horse 120 metres up ahead. And uh, how long is it going to take you to stop? And I just I couldn't do the maths. That was a, it was a hard question for a 16-year-old. Couldn't do the maths. And I got that question wrong and I was devastated. You walk out of there and you're like, oh, no, I've don't get my license, have to drive in the, dad has to drive in, I'm in the passenger seat, I thought, oh, how embarrassing is this? But I went back the next time and I passed, and uh, that's right, and I've never looked back and been a great driver ever since, never hit a horse, and, uh, and I'm really good at like calculating how far away that horse is, if there's everyone on the roads, and taking into consideration the wet roads, and uh, just, you, you remember, being used by God is not a status to achieve, there's no exam to pass. So we can be used by the Father, our Heavenly Father. You don't have to wait to be issued a license to be used by God. I could open up my Bible right now. I could flip it open. I could be here till Christmas just recounting story after story of the types of people that God used every day. Run-of-the-mill type people, seemingly ordinary, sometimes the lowest of the low in society. People that were far from having it all together on Struggle Street barely surviving, but he used people like that because he could see the gold inside. And he used the gold inside to do something amazing with those people in life. And when I read the Bible, it's, I, I, I try to train myself to obviously read the words that are on the page, but I think it's also interesting just to reflect and think about and ponder the words that aren't there. Or even uh, if I go a bit deeper on that thought, sometimes just uh, taking stock of how much time passes when we quickly read through a story. We can read through a story and we can forget that actually time passed, that this is a human, that they have real feelings. You know, the people in the Bible didn't know they were in the Bible. Like they didn't know they were in the Bible. Do you like to think about that sometimes? They, they're not actors. That they, they get handed a script and they know how it finishes. They don't. And that should bring encouragement to us this morning if we're in the middle of something and I'm, we're like, I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know if this is going to work out. 
I'm not sure. Oh, we can look at the Bible and think, well, it's great for them, isn't it? It all worked out in the end. Although there's many stories, by the way, that didn't work out at the end. So sometimes it's better not to know the ending. But uh, we go, oh, that's easy, of course. I would have made that decision because I could see how God comes through, you know, in that moment in a miracle. So many stories like that, but they didn't know. Just like we don't always know what the future holds as well. But I, when we read the Bible and we recognise that these aren't actors, these are real people, that brings encouragement to our real life. God uses real people to help others find their way to Jesus. I want to focus on this characteristic of real people today and it's about a trailblazer, the characteristic or a character of a trailblazer. And I think it's so important to be or to have trailblazers in our church or in our faith communities because I think it's so important for the kingdom of God to move forward. Someone who does something first, first through the wall is a trailblazer, someone who is not afraid to make decisions or overcome challenges and they they don't let anything sort of stand in their way to do so. Someone who creates a path for others, brings change that no one else saw coming, is a trailblazer. When I look at you real beautiful people here today, I see so many trailblazers among our community and I'm going to interview a couple of them later. And I think uh, God is using these people in a specific way that we can learn from today. But before we do that, I want to invite us to open our Bibles together and actually look at uh, someone in the Bible, a character in the Bible, who I believe was the ultimate trailblazer. His name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist. It doesn't get much realer than this guy. I mean, look at this guy. Some photos going to come on up here. He was rugged. He wore camel skins. Google Images is like unanimous that he kind of looked a bit scruffy and he he had a a big beard and sort of matted hair. Although on your left there, uh, if you look close to that, that, if you look close to that image, that is a genuine fake beard, that one right there. That is not real. That is not real. Uh, Like it's too too shaven close to the beard. That's not real. But I reckon the guy on the right there, that looks pretty close. And I'm sure uh, kids in kids' church are learning about the guy in the middle. He ate honey that, on top of locusts. He lived in the wilderness. What a man, hey? What a man. What a trailblazer. Look at that guy. Not much realer than that guy. So what's the backstory on John the Baptist? What makes him a trailblazer? And John actually was unique in character right from the beginning. Actually, John's birth was foretold by an angel to his father, Zechariah. Zechariah would work in the temple and do some things there and an angel appeared to Zechariah and said, hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a son and his name's going to be called John. And Zechariah was shocked for two reasons. One, him and his wife Elizabeth were really, really old, like a bit past the baby-making stage. And then also Elizabeth up until that point hadn't uh, uh, conceived a baby at that point, was barren up until that point. So Zechariah, rightly in my mind, just also said, well, thanks, angel, for that, but, like, how's it going to happen? But the angel took this as, a, like, a sign of, or a lack of trust, actually, in the process, and he took his voice away straight away. Is that, how brutal is that, right? Like, I, I, it's a fair question. How's it going to happen? Well, there goes your voice, until your son's born. And the angel said uh, to Zechariah, his name is going to be John, which was very unique in that, again, that time of, a time of circumstance, because... Uh, firstborn sons were usually named straight after their father, Zechariah. 
But, I mean, at this point, Zechariah's not arguing, of course. And, uh, for one, he couldn't. And two, who knows what the angel was going to take next, right? would have been a bit... But at his birth, people gathered around and uh, Zechariah, when the baby was, when Elizabeth had John, everyone gathered around thinking, what's the name? What's the name? And Zechariah, it says in the Bible, asked for a tablet, which I assume is like one of the stone ones, not like bring my iPad. And he asked for a tablet and he carves it into a tablet. He carves this name, John, which means graced by God. And people were shocked at this. And it's noted in Luke chapter 1, verse 66, everyone reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. John was truly ordinary, but also truly special, a trailblazer. In Luke chapter 3, verse 4, and eagle-eyed Bible readers would also know that this is also written in Isaiah 40, 3 to 5 as well. It's a prophecy about the types of trailblazing activity that John would bring. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and the hills will be made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people, say all, all people will see the salvation sent from God. John was part of his purpose in life, his main mission in life was to prepare the way so people could see God more clearly. He was a man that would prepare the way for Jesus, be a voice in the wilderness for something new to come. Now, I've scratched the surface of of John's story here, and in fact, I encourage you to go read it in more detail. It's fascinating. But what are some of the things that we can just pick up based on what we know about John already for our own life as a little bit of a takeaway already? What can we grab hold of? I want to say, have you ever been in a place uh, that you visit regularly or find yourself regularly in, but you just sense that there's just a little bit of a different way that you speak there? Or maybe you're just recognising that your actions can be a little bit different to everybody else. It's just a different tone to the way that you carry about your activities in that space. If you sense that there's a space like that in your life, I want to encourage you that you are a trailblazer in that space. You might notice that this place or space is void of hope or love or kindness or patience or it's just stuck in tradition. But your voice in that space regularly is preparing people for something new or changing the atmosphere in that space that you find yourself around. The Bible talks about this idea that light of heaven shines through you. You are bringing God's presence into that space or place. It's important to know that John lived in the wilderness. Now, if I lived in the wilderness, that would be a very foreign place for me to be. I'd, I'd probably die. I'd know how to camp overnight. I know how to like walk maybe a week uh, with a backpack on, and I can like trail run a little bit. But he lived there. He lived there. So the, the wilderness was a very foreign place for me, but it actually was important to note it wasn't for John. It wasn't a foreign place yet. His voice into that space was helping people that had a, uh, were in a spiritual wilderness. He had a different voice there. Where is a place for you? That's not foreign for you. You find yourself turning up to regularly, but your sound, your actions, your voice are so needed. I believe actually it's quite likely that God has placed and positioned you there to prepare the way to help other people see God more clearly. 
To be a trailblazer, you, you, you don't need to be a CEO, a digital influencer, uh, a, 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 in a tech startup space. Those people are trailblazers, of course. But actually, you here today could be a grandma. That was the first person in your family to accept a relationship with Jesus, and you've made it your life mission to pray for the generations younger than you, and you, you are changing the way and the atmosphere of that family and generations. You are a trailblazer. You're a trailblazer. I think about my daughter, R- daughter Rory. She's up here, sorry. <laughs> my, wife, my wife's here, and uh, Rory's about here, almost, almost taller than Talia. My daughter Rory, she loves to bake, like cookies, brownies, and I love to eat them. But she doesn't bake them for me. She bakes them and then she goes, I'm just going to take these around to the neighbours and I'm going to leave little notes like on their, on their front doorstep just saying, hey, how are you going? And then I get people uh, knocking on my door. So not only do I not get to eat them, I have people knocking on my door saying, oh, that was the best note. We've never had kindness like this in, in our street. Never had kindness like this in our street and we're going to go do this for other people. She's, she's 11 years old. She's a trailblazer changing the atmosphere of the street that she lives in. <clears throat> One of the things, though, I find myself questioning is why does God need a trailblazer? Why did Jesus need John the Baptist? Like, he's God. He doesn't need introducing. God's not like, uh, you know, when you take someone, like, introverted to a party and you've got to, like, walk them around and make introductions for them, for everyone, because they won't go over to someone themselves... <laughs> Like, God's not like someone you've got to hold the hand of to kind of, like, introduce him to other people. He's big enough for himself. In fact, he does. He could. He can. He does it despite us. He makes himself known to people all the time. But because we are made in the image of God, that we are being Christ-like or Jesus-like when we are being this trailblazer-like mentality because God is like that. He wants to make a way for people. And I just, it's one of the things I love most about God is that he enables us to pioneer with him. He's like, hey, you're coming with me, you're doing it with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9 to 10 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and now someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. We are not saved to sit around, to spectate, or worse, even navel gaze, we are saved to get going, to pioneer, to participate, to prepare people for him. And when we do that, I believe we are being used by God. We are laying a foundation for others. We are cultivating ground in front of us for others to build upon. And this is because of God's grace on our life. Just like John the Baptist, he's graced by God. I believe that when we have that spirit of being a trailblazer, changing things, atmosphere things, we're here to help and transform and all those things, I believe that uh, we are giving people an aspect of God they have not yet seen before. Trailblazers know why they do what they do. They know why they do what they do, or at least if they don't know why they do what they do, they at least find out or they rediscover it at different points. I'm going to make a massive leap in just a moment to be talking about John the Baptist, a very ancient character of the Bible. And then I'm going to be interviewing some real people, trailblazers that are among us here today. But just to help segue it and also to give me a little time to set up the stage, uh, there's a 60-second 
clip about someone who just reminds me of a modern-day John the Baptist. Have a quick look. Are you doing this for world peace? Are you doing this for the homeless? Are you running for women's rights? Or for the environment? Or for animals? They just couldn't believe that somebody would do all that running for no particular reason. Why are you doing this? I just felt like running. I just felt like running. It's you. I can't believe it's really you. Now, for some reason, what I was doing seemed to make sense to people. I mean, it was like an alarm went off in my head, you know? I said, here's a guy that's got his act together. Here's somebody who's got it all figured out. Here's somebody who has the answer. I'll follow you anywhere, Mr. Gump. So, I got company. And after that, I got more company. And then, even more people joined in. Somebody later told me it gave people hope. If all else fails, uh, just give people hope if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. What a great movie that is. Hey, Forrest Gump, what a great soundtrack that is. Uh, and a very expensive soundtrack, Andy. Uh, and just uh, let me know that, which is I didn't have to pay for it. So it's great. Uh, but I do get to enjoy it. Hey, what we've been doing this uh, whole series, Real People, we've also been getting to know people's stories and how faith integrates or intersects with what they are doing in their real life all the time. And I want to introduce two people that I believe uh, God's using in a significant way, like we all uh, have been or are being. And uh, these people are Mark Sewell and Ariel Blackman. And just uh, before they come on up, let's give you a little bit of uh, backstory. Always like to know the backstory, don't we? Uh, Mark uh, has became a Christian at the age of 14 years of age and immediately embarked on a life of voluntary work in the church because he made a promise to God when he was saved. He and his wife, Diane, came to Lighthouse 35 years ago off the back of a supernatural experience. And he has three children, him and I have three children and seven grandchildren here. Now, Mark's had three main careers in his life. One of them being he worked in the New South Wales government uh, for many years, in his early years, in the 80s as a senior manager. Imagine Mark in the 80s as a senior manager, pioneering actually the closure of New South Wales institutions to set up many small group homes for people with disabilities and to be the forerunner for the, what we now know as the NDIS. Then in the 90s, he managed the DOCS family support and child protection investigations in some of the most troubled areas in Sydney and across New South Wales, including Redfern. He championed and piloted many uh, innovative strength-based family crisis methods. In the last 20 years, in fact, uh, many of us would probably know if you know Mark, uh, he ran and expanded an aged care and retirement living charity that won many awards for people, culture, public media, environmental sustainability and the best big business in New South Wales in 2022. He's since recently swapped his obsession with working with family and he loves uh, babysitting the grandkids in between by the way it says here six part-time roles sitting on various boards and mentoring local leaders uh, so he, I don't know if he's actually uh, stopped working there but I'm actually one of the well, I think I am one of those many local leaders that uh, Mark mentors and he's an incredible uh, man why don't you give him a hand as he comes on up And then we've got Ariel, mum of two kids, Levi and Ayla, and married to Tim, was a youth pastor for six years, social worker as well. Six years ago, she started a company hiring out pain relief device for birth from her living room that is now used 
by one in 50 women giving birth in Australia. On top of that, uh, her and Tim and a few other local mums uh, she's employed has expanded that business quite significantly. She's lecturing and teaching a Masters of Social Work at a Christian college in Sydney. It says her favourite escape is swimming in the ocean at 6am with a few other women from Lighthouse every week. Give Ariel a hand she comes on up. Hello. How are we doing? Are we okay with this setup, Mark? It's yep, a, I think so. It's a bit like a press conference, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, are you used to this? Done a few of them. Yeah, okay. Uh, Mark, let's start with you. Um, people that know you fairly well would know that you're confident, you're curious, you always seem to know why you're doing something. Have you always been like that or, you know, what do you do if you're not like that? No, I, um, I uh, started without a plan. I just left school as early as I could, get some money, get out of the family. I even had to travel to Sydney for 10 years, so I was away a lot. And I just stumbled into each thing I did. And uh, although Diane and I early on in our pre-marriage sort of stuff got sort of a framework together, a bit of a, a set of values, I guess, four things that we were going to pursue. And they sort of provided the guidance and the confidence for me that I was sort of in the right space or doing the right thing. And those, in fact, now looking back on sort of 45 years of work and I sort of can see those four things were consistent, even though I kept jumping and seizing opportunities and doing different things, those four things sort of saw us through all the way. So if you weren't sure what you were doing or why you were doing something, you would make sure it fit in with that framework. Are you exactly. going to give us those four things? Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah. Um, certainly we were determined to work hard. The work ethic was very strong and we were going to work really hard and hard work wasn't going to phase us to get ahead and do our best. We're going to get educated, so learning and getting educated, doing TAFE certificates and diplomas and degrees and masters and getting an expert in your area. Um, the third one was um, sowing and investing in a church, committing to a church and staying loyal through and thick and thin, giving money and time and volunteering and so on. And the fourth thing was the family was going to be important, um, having fun and travelling and that kind of stuff. Those four things sound like they're awesome and they're easy, but actually behind that is a list of about 20 things we couldn't do. We had to commit to these things so we couldn't do other things like get obsessed with food or going out or health and fitness or um, flashy cars or whatever. You know, we had to really, those 20 years, the first 20 years were really invested in these four things. Yeah, so you realised you just couldn't say yes to everything. Exactly. Okay. In fact, Diane had a bit of a, early, early on, had a bit of a, a, a revelation, I suppose, or a, felt that my particular... Uh, trailblazing mission was to be like Joseph and have the Joseph blessing or the Joseph principle which was to take a Hebrew or take a Christian and put them in another secular environment or a non-Christian environment and to be in management and, 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 and to bless many people not just Christians. So that was, that's been a very consistent thing with each of those roles that you read out earlier and that came early and looking back I can see that's been consistent as well. Yeah, fantastic. Ariel, um, what about you? Trailblazers are good at creating change, seeing things that other people can't. As what's been the catalyst for you to change things, like the youth pastor to different businesses? And did you always going into it knowing, oh, this is going to work out exactly how I planned it? No, okay. absolutely not. I think for us, the catalyst for change was absolute necessity. We were forced to change. 
Um, Tim and I had had a prophecy over our life spoken over us that we would own a business and we were clueless youth pastors at the time. And we sort of thought, oh, okay. Um, and I sort of was looking at my kids going, you know, if I want to own a, a home one day in this country, I'm going to have to not just uh, be a youth pastor or even just a social worker on that level. I'm going to have to make a decision about how I'm going to create wealth for my family. Um, and so we had this idea for this business. I used one of these pain relief devices for my birth and I thought, that was awesome, um, but the experience was terrible. Um, so what if I just did that? What if I just gave it a go? Um, I spent my whole maternity leave with my daughter, my second birth, um, building a website. I had no idea. I had zero graphic design, zero business experience. Um, I had no, knew absolutely nothing about marketing. And um, I built a website and then we got to the end and we were ready to launch, but we had no money. At this time in our life, if I wanted to buy a new pair of shoes, I remember my household budget, I would need to save for 16.5 weeks to buy a pair of sneakers. And um, so we didn't have the initial investment to buy the machines. And then it's, it just turned out that we were made redundant from our job as youth pastors after six years. And we had this redundancy packet and we, you know, it seemed like so, so, so much money to us at that time. So it seemed like this huge risk um, to go, okay, well, we've made this investment of time. Let's invest this, you know, $2,000 that we have and buy 10 of these TENS machines and just see what happens. We had no business plan. We had no marketing plan. I didn't even know what a marketing funnel was. <laughs> um, but we, we did it. We bought 10 TENS machines and clicked live on the website. I'll never forget the feeling when the first order came through. I was terrified. Um, and now we own, uh, I think it's about 1,250 TENS machines. And as Josh said, about one in 50 women this year who have birthed have used one of our machines for their birth. So, Ariel, with, um, I mean, that sounds like incredible growth. So often people think, oh, we, I'm going to go through incredible growth here and then challenge is going to be for another day or hardships. But it seems to me, particularly when I uh, chat with guys like yourselves, that both challenge and growth go hand in hand. It's not like one t tap turns off and the other one turns on. You've obviously had moments where you just like think, what the heck am I doing here? Mm. What would you give as, or, or what has helped you actually in terms of scriptures or family, uh, faith community to sort of get through those times of like huge growth and also uh, challenges as well? Yeah, uh, so Blissbirth has pretty much doubled every year that we've had it. Um, so I cry all the time. Um, I, I think I've really learned, God has really taught me through this journey that um, not knowing how to do something and feeling out of your depth is probably exactly where you should feel if you are a trailblazer or if you're creating something that people haven't created before or if you are trying to aim for a level of excellence or a level of social change or a level of, you know, whatever you want to achieve that's new, it will be incredibly uncomfortable. But I think over the six years, um, you know, I, I didn't know how to send a parcel at Australia Post. I had to go in and say, I do not know how to send a parcel. Can you please walk me through it? And now I just go and knock on the back door of the Australia Post in Unandera and they say, hi, Ariel, and they take my parcels. 
um, because I'm there every single day. So, I but like I had to learn marketing that was incredibly uncomfortable. I had to learn finances that was incredibly uncomfortable. But what I've learned is the moment that I get to the place where I feel like I'm on top of things and I understand and I feel comfortable, um, then we grow and I'm going to be uncomfortable again. So it's I've learned to lean into that process. Um, and I, what I've also learnt um, from having something grow so rapidly um, and allowing it to grow so rapidly instead of shrinking back when it became really uncomfortable um, was that whenever I'm a bit of a control freak um, <laughs> and whenever I've allowed myself to come back in control, I've taken that control away from God, if that makes sense. Um, so... You're going to love what I'm about to say, Josh. But I, I, he didn't pay me to say this, but I, I find that tithing is a really important spiritual practice for me in particular because it's a weekly declaration that I trust God that what I put out will come back and that there will be enough. Um, so, yeah. I'm glad I didn't cut you off. Uh... <laughs> I knew you were going to. I'm like, he wants to hear this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Well, it's encouraging for everybody uh, to to hear that. But it was actually going to be my other name for this panel was like the control freak panel. Uh. Uh, didn't. <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of worked the language with Mark, and he said, "No, that's that's not going <laughs> to. People aren't going to like that." So, uh, hey, Mark, uh, we just talked about John the Baptist. It also says he was humble. He was strong in spirits. Uh, uh, John chapter 3 verse 30 talks about greater is he and oh, I need to become lesser. People's perception of a trailblazer sometimes is that it is all about ego and it's ego driven and, and, and that's often can be the case as well. So how do people or how do you use your powers for good and keep your egos in check and what, what is the traps? That's great. Um, ego, <laughs> ego is such a trap. It's really your enemy. I think um, your ego robs you of your gifts and your talents and your purpose. Your ego is how you react. So you know when someone tells you ten things they like about you and one thing they don't and you just think about the one thing they don't and it eats you up and you get angry and frustrated? That's your ego responding. And imagine being a trailblazer or a leader or a member of a team or something and hearing that stuff without it getting an emotional reaction. So the negative personalization and the negative emotional reaction. We, can, we even go weird. Our, even, our ego even goes weird when we get compliments. We can't have them and we can't use them and we get suspect about why they've been given and the motives. So laying all that aside, like I, your ego is just yourself, you know, and the Bible's very clear about our heart and our mind being deceitful and trying to trick us. But laying down ourselves and just focusing on what God's gifted us to do, we're just going to do it. And in business um, or in any role, getting lots of feedback. Imagine if your ego was so in, under check that you could ask anyone for good feedback and they would give you great feedback, including lots of criticism and lots of suggestions, and you actually learned from it and rather than reacted to it. And that's when your ego is... And, and it takes a lot of work. You've got to do it daily. Like, it's a daily battle to get that ego under control. And there's little tools you can do, little tips and stuff that you can just do for decades, I know, decades and decades, to keep it under control, but it makes you a much better person in teams and leading and so on, um, to, to keep that ego under check and to lay down yourself. And just to, 
um, keep the personal, emotional trauma stuff and the drama away and just power ahead with what God wants you to do. And, and well, talk to us about that, what God wants you to do. Why is it so important for him that Eric goes in check, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's a battle. It, it, it just robs us so, um, so clearly. It's uh, absolutely no good to have that ego. Um, our, our purpose has got amazing things to achieve. We really can achieve so much for other people. And self is the enemy of others. And doing stuff for others, whether it's to make money and bless lots of people through an amazing innovation that people can use for their own lives, or whether it's some other thing, you know, policy development or whatever, um, keep it, it's a battle all your life, no matter how long you've got to go, but other people can really help you. A mentor or a guide. I mean, reading the Bible every day is very useful. I, I try to read Proverbs every day based on the date of the month because there's 31 Proverbs and most months have 30 or 31 days. And today is Proverbs 12 for the 12th of November. November. <laughs> I know what year it is, but that's about the end of it. He's really lost it. He's yeah. stopped working and got retired. So. Listen to this. This is actually talking about what I just said. The first verse in Proverbs 12, whoever loves instruction and discipline loves knowledge and learning. But he who hates reproof and correction is stupid. Do you love that? That's plain and clear. That's why I love Proverbs too. Um, and, and there's a prime example of why it's so valuable. Uh, Mark, a quote from a, a fellow trailblazer says this, I rarely offered my advice unless first asked, but I hope I am. Mark, I, I love getting emails from you, and I get quite a few of them, and often in the uh, subject headline, there's just something, uh, there's always a word that says megatrends. And so you like to think about what are the megatrends that are happening, and, and, and where's the world going, and so I'm asking you, Mark, uh, give us some insight on sort of what you see up ahead, but also how does your, how, how will being a person of faith be more important than ever? Can I mention two good megatrends, two bad megatrends and then two good megatrends very quickly? The first megatrend is the way that the society responds to God. I was born into a Christian country, but I grew up in a post-Christian world. So originally, a lot of people went to church and everyone knew about Sunday school and God and Jesus and read the Bible, knew what a church was. Then, though, my life has been in a tolerant, we tolerate, you know, the society, the school, the, the people around me tolerated Christians only. We're now in an anti-Christian world, which is really requiring a very different sort of response. If you're leading people, if you're trailblazer, if you're in business, um, that's that requires us to not get um, in the corner, think of ourselves as a minority, shouting out our beliefs, feeling a victim, but engaging with people on a whole different level in an anti-Christian world. I'm hoping that will change. I think there's... Anyway, don't get me started on that. Um, the other big megatrend is mental health. The world has come a long way in 100 years solving most physical health stuff. My dad passed away um, a couple of years ago at 99. He said the amazing things he saw were the amazing in, uh, advances in human health. And uh, so many people he knew used to die in his street and around him and that hasn't happened now. But mental health is a big plague and lots of people are very frightened. And the world is a scary place. I mean, for 50 or 60 years we haven't had the kind of traumas we've got now with the economy crashing and war in Europe and war in the Middle East and there could be war in the Pacific and everything is really hard and difficult. So you've got to lead benevolently. You've got to lead with care. People don't want to be told and controlled and harshly directed because leaders have got to make decisions, tough decisions. But that kind of warmth 
and genuine intent for people has got to be everywhere. Everyone's got to do it from the CEO of Qantas all the way through to your local team leader. But the good megatrends are democratization and universalism. Everyone wants a say in everything. Every decision you make, you're going to get a lot of people giving you feedback. If you can get your ego under check, you can get a lot of great information from people instantly, all the time. And another good megatrend, um, oh, tech and, 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 and uh, digitisation. So many administrative, boring, slow processes are going to become so quick and so easy if we embrace those. So there's a bit of a look in where things are going, I think. Fantastic. Ariel, um, trailblazers don't always get to see the trail they create behind them. So if you're not seeing that yet, but I guess the question is what are you hoping you're leaving behind? Um, yeah. I, thinking about this question, I was like, I'm 34. Like, I, I don't know yet to a certain extent. Um, I think there's the, we've started to change the way women birth in Australia. And I sort of um, didn't, I was hesitant to make such a huge claim until recently where I looked at it and I was like, you know what, I, our marketing strategies um, and education have really changed the way women birth in Australia. Um, but, but um, so that's, you know, for our business, one thing. But I think also for Tim and I as, as, a, as a couple and, you know, this experience has made me realise that I, I kind of feel like I could do anything now. So I built a, a quite a large company, not a large company, a tiny company in the scheme of things, but big for me, um, from Googling stuff um, and looking up YouTube videos and uh, learning how to use the tech that Mark talks about. Um, and I feel like it's changed the way that I view the world. I feel like I could almost do anything now. I would be able to figure it out. And I hope that that will... Uh, blazer trail for other people. Yeah, that's what I hope. Fantastic. Mark, what about, what would you say to someone today that wishes they were a trailblazer, uh, think they are, was once, but have kind of lost that sense of dreaming and thinking ahead and maybe voices have clouded in over their life and yeah, what, what sort of advice or even spiritual support would you give people like that today? Yeah, I mentioned earlier that some people think I've got a sort of Joseph principle and he was he had a great vision and a plan and did great stuff, but he spent a lot of time in prison with nothing happened yeah. and he was a slave and he, you know. So people get caught in stuff, definitely. I, 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 I wouldn't tell anyone what to do, but I'd give three suggestions about things they could explore. Firstly was to ditch it. Maybe it's no longer relevant. Maybe somebody else did it. Maybe the circumstances have changed um, and it's no longer yours. So ditching something is wise at different times. It's got to let things go. The other thing is to maybe revisit it. Now, maybe it's going to happen, but it needs a different set of values, a different uh, 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 method, approach, needs a partner to come along and be with you. Maybe it's going to happen, but revisit your values, your purpose, you know, recast it is a really good time uh, thing to do during that waiting time. And the third thing is maybe just wait. Maybe you've got to be patient. You know, I've got 60 years of my life behind me. Um, some say I might have 30 years in front of me if I live as long as my parents did. So, you know, um, you're not at the end of anything. There's a lot of patient waiting to do and sometimes just waiting, waiting. So apart from working on it, you can just wait and see when. 
because the Lord's not got a tight time frame for anything. He's got all the time in the world, <laughs> literally. And so, um, yeah, waiting can be useful too. So we want to thank both of these guys. Incredible stories. Thank you for listening to the Lighthouse Podcast. We hope this message brings inspiration and encouragement to your day. If you want to check out any of our other podcasts or the work that we do or when and where we gather, jump on our website at differentlight.com.au. Catch you later.